Hello and welcome to the episode 16 of Rare Possessions Podcast. I'm your host, Nick Belletti, and we want to remind all of our listeners again to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes, at Google Play, and Stitcher, and at SoundCloud. Again, this is Nick Galetti, your host, and with me, as always, is Jared Riddick from Book of Mormon Central. How's it going? It's going. We are trucking along. Chapter 16 of Life of Nephi by George Q. Cannon. And to start out this chapter, George Q. Cannon reminds the reader that Nephi kept certain artifacts from his trip through the wilderness, namely the, the Sword of Laban, the Plates of Brass, and the Liahona. Now, it's pretty obvious as to why they kept the Liahona and the Plates of Brass, but what was the significance of Nephi keeping the sword? Why was, was Nephi even commanded to keep it? Uh, not that I think we have record of. I think one of the things that becomes evident, because Nephi, this is the point where his brother's yet again plotting to kill him, and he takes his family and whoever will follow him and flees into the wilderness. And so the sword becomes a symbol that his story is true, and it's something that will be passed down as, as a relic uh, through the Nephites, uh, what Don Bradley will uh, actually call the Ark of Cumorah instead of the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, it becomes one of the artifacts that they have. You have the seer stones, you have the breastplate, you have the sword of Laban, the Liahona, and the plates. And so, yeah, it becomes a sacred relic to the Nephite people. First passed down through the kings, and we kind of lose track of it for a while after uh, Mosiah steps down from the kingship. But clearly it was preserved. Yeah, it was preserved for a long time, and it seems to feel a little like this, the kingship was always viewed as a divine appointment. Mm-hmm. And so... Again, in the, in the narrative of Laman and Lemuel going one direction and Nephi going the other, and this idea that first Nephi has a lot of a political tract kind of feel to it. Like Noel Reynolds has talked about. Yeah, exactly. That this becomes that grand symbol. Mm-hmm. And the last time you really see it being wielded in battle, of course, is with King Benjamin. You get the feeling that it might be wearing down a little bit at this point. They're just going <laughs> to retire true. it. And there's, you know, some no-wise that Book of Mormon Central has published about the significance of what it was made out of and things like that. So we want to encourage people to look through the Book of Mormon Central archive and just search out Sword of Laban. There's some really interesting scholarship that's being done on that item as well. There's also an explanation of the organization of the physical plates, you know, the large and small plates and things like that. And George Q. Cannon spends some time to clarify this to the reader. Why does it matter? And, and that we, that we have this kind of idea of the organization of the plates themselves. For me, it was because as a kid, it was confusing. Um, and he's dealing with youth. And he needs to have them understand where this book came from. Because sometimes the record, you, you're not quite sure when it's keeping. You get the impression when you're reading First Nephi, if you're not paying attention, that he's keeping this as almost a journal or a diary. But you're realizing he's, keep, he's writing this 20 or 30 years later. And so it's important to keep that in mind to see what Nephi is saying. And it feels a little like this is the point of the narrative where he starts writing in the small plates. Mm-hmm. George Q. Cannon kind of makes a comparison or a, a connection, I should say, to Martin Harris' situation with the lost manuscript and how Nephi was somewhat inspired in this case to have a, uh, should we call it a duplicate record? It's not exactly a duplicate record. And not but, a duplicate, but we'll, we'll go with duplicate for lack of a better term. Yeah. A backup. <laughs> <laughs> a backup, because there was some it's indication that this would, that the, another recording of this same history was given so that when that event could possibly happen in the future, this is not a, a counterfactual look, but looking from Nephi's time, it seems a little. Yeah. Right. It, and when the Lord says for a wise purpose, I mean, I believe it was because Martin would lose them. 
But it's also worth keeping in mind that Nephi probably recorded things a bit differently in the small plates than he did in the large plates. Um, lessons are more concise. The divine application is more apparent. And so it might have been so that Nephi could record the right things that we needed to hear. Yeah, more practical. More doctrine than more—we more, we, we always get frustrated. We wonder, what could be in the 116 pages? It might not have been much special. Yeah. It might have just been, been the history. I, I think of, uh, of Yoda, an episode of The Last Jedi. Well, oh, have you read it? Page turners, they were not. Yeah. This might have been— <laughs> To give us the importance, yeah. Uh, give us the the actual because some of the most powerful powerful doctrine, the most powerful doctrinal chapter in the Book of Mormon, in my opinion, is Second Nephi nine, and I think President Kimball backed me up on that. There's some incredible things that we might not have had if the Lord hadn't inspired Nephi to twenty or thirty years later. Hey, start keeping this record again, but do it from your point of view now. And it could have stunk. My first drafts of stuff are terrible. I wouldn't dare show some people <laughs> some of the things I wrote in middle and high school. Yeah, so maybe it was... Uh, when I was Nephi's age. Oh, there you go. So maybe maybe it could have been that, hey, Nephi, now that you tried a first draft, let's uh, let's have another go at it. So who knows? But there again, we assume that there is wisdom in the reason that the Lord had it arranged that way and inspired Nephi to do that. So here we are now with a reading of chapter 16 in Life of Nephi by George Q. Cannon. Life of Nephi by George Q. Cannon Chapter 16 For many years Nephi had done all in his power to sustain the influence of his father with his brothers. In company with his father, he had labored steadily to induce them to live righteously and to obey the commandments of God. He had exhausted every means to induce them to dwell in union, peace, and love. There was nothing more he could do except to become a victim to their blind and cruel rage. But this, in the providence of the Lord, was not required of him. The Lord had another work for Nephi, so he warned him to flee into the wilderness and leave his wicked brothers and associates to themselves. Those who accompanied Nephi in this flight were all who believed in the warnings and revelations of God. They accepted the word of the Lord as it came to him concerning this departure. The record informs us that they were his own family, Zoram and his family, Sam and his family, his brothers Jacob and Joseph, and his sisters and others. The names of his sisters are not given and were not told how many there were, or who the others were who accompanied him. With their tents, and everything which it was possible for them to carry, they took their journey into the wilderness. Nephi was careful to have all the records of his people with him. He had the plates of brass, which were obtained from Laban and his father, and his father Lehi's record, and the records he had kept himself, and also the ball or compass which was prepared of the Lord for Lehi and the sword of Laban. We are not informed what the feelings of Laman and Lemuel were respecting Nephi's keeping possession of the brass plates, the record of Lehi, and the ball or compass which the Lord had prepared for Lehi. But it is not too much to suppose that while they kept no records themselves upon plates and therefore placed no value upon them, they were angry at Nephi for taking these with him. They probably accused him of robbing them. For about five centuries after this, we find that the tradition among their descendants was that Nephi was not only a liar, but had robbed their fathers. Nephi himself was very particular about keeping records. He taught his people to value the written word. He doubtless devised means of giving them copies of that which had been written, for in the days of his brother Jacob, the sudden and awful death of a teacher of false doctrine who had led many astray caused the people, as we are told, to search the scriptures. 
We conclude from this that copies of the writings upon the brass plates must have been accessible to them. By the command of the Lord, Nephi made two sets of plates on which to keep the records of his people. The first set of these plates contained in great fullness and detail the history of the people of Nephi. Upon them, Nephi engraved the record of his father Lehi and the genealogy of Lehi, his prophecies and many of his own prophecies and the most part of all their proceedings in the wilderness. Upon them were engraved by him with more detail and particularity the things which transpired before he made the second set of plates. Upon these first plates also an account was given of the wars, contentions, and destructions of the people during Nephi's lifetime, and he commanded his people that they should continue to do this after he was gone, including an account of the reign of the kings, and that the plates should be handed down from one generation to another, from one prophet to another, until the Lord should command otherwise. It was from these plates, called the plates of Nephi, that the prophet Mormon made his abridgment, which the prophet Joseph first translated. It will be remembered that while the prophet was translating the Book of Mormon, he was teased by Martin Harris to let him have some of the manuscript. Joseph did so. The Lord was so displeased with him for letting these writings go out of his hands that he deprived him of his gift, and the work of translating was suspended for a number of months. While in Martin Harris's possession, the manuscripts were stolen and were not recovered. Those who obtained them had a deep design in view, but the Lord thwarted them. He gave Joseph a commandment not to attempt to translate a second time that which he had lost, but to translate the record which he would find upon the second set of plates, called also the plates of Nephi. The revelation respecting this is to be found in the Book of Doctrine and Covenants, section 10. Nephi informs us that he had been commanded of the Lord to make these second plates for a special and wise purpose, but he did not know what that purpose was. Farther than there should be an account engraved thereon of the ministry of his people, and the more plain and precious parts of the prophecies, so that they might be kept for the instruction of his people. These plates were handed down from Nephi to Amalekai, covering a period of about 400 years from the time that Lehi left Jerusalem. When Amalekai finished his writing, the plates, which were small, were full. And as he had no children, he gave them to the king whose name was Benjamin. This king kept them with the other and larger plates of Nephi, which contained the records of kings, and which had been handed down from generation to generation. They were kept from that time forth with the other records upon plates, which, in the lapse of centuries, became very numerous, until they came into the hands of the prophet Mormon. Mormon made his abridgment sometime after the year 384 in the Christian era, which was upwards of five centuries after the death of this King Benjamin. After he had made his abridgment from the large plates of Nephi down to the days of King Benjamin, he found, in searching among the records, these small plates of Nephi. Their contents pleased him. They were full of revelations and prophecies concerning the coming of Christ and many other great events. He knew that many events therein predicted had been fulfilled, and also that those predictions which went beyond his day would most assuredly come to pass. Therefore they were precious to him, and he knew they would be also to posterity. But in addition to these reasons for selecting them, he was moved upon by the Spirit of the Lord to embody them with his record. The promptings of the Spirit to him were that there was a wise purpose in this, though it does not appear that he fully knew what that purpose was. But the purpose became plain when the Lord gave again to the prophet Joseph the gift and privilege of translating. He was commanded to translate the record engraved upon the plates, to supply the place of that translation which had been stolen. 
Thus Joseph was told not to translate over again that which he had translated, and Satan's plan to entrap him was defeated. For the Lord, foreseeing what would take place, had inspired Nephi and Mormon to do as they did, the one to prepare the plates and engrave upon them, and to command those who followed him to do so also, and the other to embody them with his record to afterwards come into the hands of the prophet Joseph. And the results are that we have in the Book of Mormon, a body of revelations and prophecies that are exceedingly precious, and which throw a flood of light upon the doctrines of Christ and those mighty events which are to take place in the last days. Thank you for listening to the Rare Possessions Podcast from the archives of Book of Mormon Central. For the latest information on additions to the Book of Mormon Central Archive, or to inquire about archive items like this one, visit us online at archive.bookofmormoncentral.org.